what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified on social media censorship. He said the Biden administration coined a new term for him called malinformation. Illegal immigrants in New York City now have to move out of city shelters because there's no more room. Meanwhile, a new federal bill prohibits schools from being used as shelters. We bring you an immigration update. A Republican senator is holding up the promotion of over 250 military leaders over a Pentagon abortion policy. How is this possible? And what precedent does it set? North Korea remains silent on the arrest of the U.S. soldier who ran across the border. Analysts weigh in on how this leverage could impact ties with Washington. A major persecution in communist China going on for 24 years to the day today. The congressman joins us for a special report to discuss this issue. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified at a congressional hearing this morning. Lawmakers delved into claims of government censorship of online speech across the nation. I was censored not just by the Democratic administration, I was censored by the Trump administration. I was the first person censored by, the, as the chairman pointed out, by the Biden administration two days after it came into office. It ordered a truthful, and by the way, they had to invent a new word called malinformation to, to, to censor people like me. Kennedy spoke of content he posted on Instagram that was removed, saying nobody ever pointed to a single piece of misinformation. He said everything he posted was cited and sourced, and that it was information the government didn't want people to hear. Kennedy was one of three witnesses testifying at the hearing. It focused, it focused on the federal government's alleged role in censoring Americans. New York City is telling illegal immigrants to move out of shelters provided by the city. That's because there's no more room. Meanwhile, a new bill bans public schools from sheltering illegal immigrants. Here's an update on immigration. New York City is giving adult illegal immigrants 60 days to move out of the shelters they've been provided with and find alternative housing. A Wednesday press release reads that immigrants who do not find alternative housing by the time their 60 days are complete will be required to reapply for a new placement at the arrival center. We have no more room in the city and we need help for the federal government. The mayor of the sanctuary city asked the federal government for financial support. He also asked for regulation which allows illegal immigrants to work. According to the press release, the policy will create critically needed space for arriving families with children seeking asylum, given there's an average of 300 to 500 people still arriving each day. The mayor also announced the city will distribute flyers at the U.S.-Mexico border, telling newly arrived migrants to consider another city. There are social media sites that are promoting New York City. We want people to be faced with the real reality at the border. The mayor says New York did more than any other city to support illegal immigrants, but added that they can't continue doing so without help from the federal government. Meanwhile, House lawmakers on Wednesday passed an immigration bill. It would ban public K-12 school facilities from being used as shelter for illegal immigrants. A New York representative introduced the bill earlier this month, which gained support from Republicans. Among them, New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. The problem is, if you look at New York City right now, you'll see that there are more 
illegal immigrants being housed in our shelters than American citizens. Walk down the streets of the city and you see homeless New Yorkers. Schools that fail to comply with the bill risk losing federal funding. It is also unclear if the bill will pass the Senate, where Democrats hold a slim majority. And ICE revealed new numbers this week regarding the so-called parole with condition policy. The policy allowed for illegal immigrants to be paroled into the United States under the expectation that they check in with ICE within 60 days. They were also supposed to receive a notice to appear. A federal judge blocked the policy in May, but Homeland Security still released over 2,500 illegal immigrants under the policy. They argued these individuals had already been processed. New numbers released this week show that out of those 2,500, over 40 percent never checked in with ICE after being released. And out of those who did check in, only 18 percent received a notice to appear. The judge who blocked the policy called these numbers troubling. Texas has taken border security into its own hands with chain link and barbed wire fencing on the Texas side of the Rio Grande, as well as a new marine barrier in the river itself. To learn more about these efforts, we speak with Todd Benzman, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd Benzman, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Todd, give us an overview of what you're seeing on the ground at the southern border. Well, it's uh, what I call a Cold War going on right now between Texas and the Biden administration's Border Patrol. Uh, Texas has rolled out an unprecedented, uh, in-depth, multi-layered fortification system on the Rio Grande in the Del Rio sector, which is the most heavily trammeled for illegal immigrants uh, in, on the Texas border and, and indeed along the entire border. Uh, with barbed wire uh, and troopers and National Guard blocking immigrants from progressing past the river's edge. Uh, but, and it's been successful, uh, the immigrants are not able to pass, they're blocking them, but the immigrants also recognize that if they can find one of Biden's Border Patrol agents, they will be allowed in and on a bus within 24 hours to any city of their choice. And what about the buoys? Are they having an impact? The buoys are not uh, the, the river, the marine barrier that you're talking about. Uh, this is just a test pilot program, uh, a thousand feet to start. Uh, it's not fully uh, uh, installed yet, so we don't know. But um, from what I've heard, from what's up there, you know, no, nobody's able to cross over it. Uh, but you know, you can just go around it right now because it's not—it's not fully up. And even when it is up, it'll only be up a thousand feet until they get the next installment, and they'll—they'll they'll keep extending that uh, all along the river. And are they still expanding the border, the um, the chain link fencing, and the barbed wire? Yes. Uh, right now, there are thousands and thousands of yards of this. It goes uh, really, I think, for miles now. Uh, but the immigrants have figured out that um, if they just hike long enough to the edge of it, to the end of it, Border Patrol is waiting for them there, and they can cross right in. They're looking for Border Patrol. Border Patrol is handing out notice to appear documents to all family units, all unaccompanied minors, all uh, single adults uh, as well. So as soon as they get to the edge of the Texas fortifications, uh, within 24, 48 hours, they're on a bus to New York or wherever they want to go. 
And tell us more about that. It sounds like from your recent report that federal border patrol is essentially undermining the efforts of Texas law enforcement. Yeah, tell us more. Well, to be fair, uh, Texas is trying to undermine what the Biden administration is doing, uh, which is to, you know, just allow unfettered, unmitigated, uh, no uh, obstacle illegal immigration uh, over the border. And conversely, the Biden administration now is trying to undermine Texas's efforts uh, to undermine them. And so that's why I just call this a, a cold war. It's very interesting. The immigrants uh, are well aware that they have to avoid the tan uniform guys and find the green uniform guys. And that's what's going on uh, all along the Del Rio sector, which again is a very busy sector, 30,000 a month coming across there. Todd Benzman, thank you again for joining us. Good to have you back on the show. Thank you. Coming up, the Senate may make it more difficult for the president to withdraw from NATO. It's a response to comments made by former President Trump while he was in office. More after the break. Welcome back. The Senate yesterday took a step toward preventing a president from backing the U.S. out of NATO. Senators voted 65 to 28 in favor of an amendment to the annual defense spending bill. It says the president cannot suspend or withdraw the U.S. from the NATO treaty without support from two-thirds of senators. Former President Trump in 2018 threatened to withdraw the U.S. from NATO. That was if member states did not start paying what they agreed to on defense spending, which is 2% of their annual gross domestic product. That was an amount agreed to in 2014. However, many countries have not met that goal. Senator Tim Kaine introduced the amendment along with Senator Marco Rubio. Kaine said yesterday U.S. allies would take this statement of congressional support in a very powerful way. Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is blocking the promotion of over 200 Marine Corps leaders over a DOD abortion policy. Can he do this? And what does it mean for politics going forward? We speak with constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis. Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks so much for having me. Jenna, the DOD created this abortion rule after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Is it constitutional? I would say no, that it's not. And certainly uh, the Dobbs opinion uh, gave the abortion policy decision back to the states and the people's representatives, which include Congress. And Congress has not uh, created legislation on this issue, and that's been an ongoing fight in Congress. So the fact that the DOD uh, thinks that they can create this policy in the midst of the Hyde Amendment uh, to provide federal funding for abortion, in my view, absolutely is unconstitutional. Now explain for us the Hyde Amendment exactly and how it factors in here. Well, so the Hyde Amendment uh, is is legislation that passed that said that no federal funding can go uh, for any uh, abortion funding. And so uh, when the DOD is providing that type of funding with this policy, then it runs afoul specifically of the Hyde Amendment. And so the fact that the, that, uh, the Biden administration thinks that it can just ignore the Hyde Amendment is very concerning. 
What about the fact that this um, policy for the Pentagon doesn't exactly fund abortions directly, it only funds travel? How does that factor in? Well, the whole purpose of the travel is for abortion tourism, which is the idea that uh, the funding would be to travel to a state that provides for a, uh, either late-term abortions or for an abortion that a woman seeking that intervention to uh, terminate her pregnancy and kill her unborn child would be the sole purpose of that funding. And so even though someone could say that it's not direct, that's the sole purpose of the travel. Now, Tommy Tuberville, a sole senator, is basically holding up the promotion of over 250 military leaders over this Pentagon bill, over this Pentagon rule. Um, tell us about the Senate procedure that gives him this power. Well, so uh, these types of military promotions require Senate confirmation, and uh, the Senate internal rules, not coming from the Constitution itself, but how the Senate governs itself, requires unanimous consent. And so that does give each individual senator uh, quite a lot of power to hold up uh, certain items. And so in my view, what Senator uh, Tuberville is doing is directly related to the DOD's rule and saying that the military shouldn't benefit from his vote to confirm if they're unwilling to abide by the Hyde Amendment, and they are creating this policy, especially in the wake of the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs. What, what kind of precedent does Tuberville's action set? I think that this shows that uh, the Senate has to find a way to reach unanimous consent. And so this creates the opportunity for uh, these types of actions to be reviewed. And I think that this type of precedent shows that the life issue is not going away anytime soon. And this is something that the DOD really needs to look at because Republicans uh, like Senator Tuberville are going to stand firm. And I think that this creates a very good precedent that other Republicans in Congress do need to follow with respect to the life issue. And just in closing here, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, says Democrats won't block Tuberville from holding a vote over this rule. Do you think Tuberville will actually take the vote? I've spoken to him numerous times on my radio show, and I do believe that he's very intent in holding the line here. And so what that looks like, um, I think we'll see further down the road, but I don't think he intends to give up anytime soon. Constitutional Attorney Jenna Ellis, thank you very much. Thank you. Money matters are a top concern for many military families, but here's the good news. They might be getting some assistance soon. The House's latest defense bill outlines several proposed measures, including a pay raise, additional employment help for military spouses, and more assistance for housing and childcare. The Senate is now considering the legislation. Also, last month, President Biden announced executive actions to make it easier for military spouses to find and hold on to jobs. Advocates say many in the military are having a tough time affording the jump in housing costs, food prices, and childcare. After U.S. soldier Travis King dashed into North Korea on Tuesday, diplomatic relations between Washington and Pyongyang are once again in the spotlight. The U.S. State Department said yesterday it reached out to counterparts in the North Korean People's Army for information, but hadn't yet heard back. As you can imagine, in a situation like this, uh, those discussions are quite sensitive, and I'm not prepared to go into all the details at this time. What I will say is that uh, we here at the State Department have engaged with counterparts in South Korea and with Sweden uh, on this issue, including here in Washington. Previously, Sweden has played a crucial role in contact between Western governments and North Korea as one of the only countries with an embassy in Pyongyang. But using that channel right now could prove tricky. 
Normally, when Americans have been in this kind of situation before, the U.S. government needs to go through the Swedish embassy in Pyongyang. But that's currently closed because of COVID-19, so the U.S. will have to figure out a new diplomatic route. Ta Yong-ho is a former North Korea diplomat. He told Reuters that while it might initially look like Pyongyang has unexpectedly acquired diplomatic leverage, it won't necessarily lead to significant gain for the communist state. I'm skeptical about whether North Korea would use this U.S. military personnel politically, given his military rank is not that high. The cost for North Korea of security, surveillance and interpretation for King could also start to stack up too. A growing number of analysts have also cast doubt on how Pyongyang will be able to use King to their advantage. I would have to imagine that they're not very optimistic about what they can get for him. Um, but at the same time, the United States is committed to bringing home citizens from um, detention abroad. Yet some have told Reuters discussions over the soldiers' fate could see some of the first direct diplomatic engagement between North Korea and the United States in years. Pyongyang reportedly has a standard playbook for treating American and other Western detainees or defectors well in order to avoid political blowback. One notable exception is U.S. college student Otto Warmbier, who died in 2017, shortly after being released from a North Korea prison. We don't want to see another Otto Warmbier case. Um, and I don't think that North Korea will try that uh, because the it could have a huge consequences. The bigger question, however, is whether King's dash could affect stalled denuclearization talks or crack the North's lingering isolation following the COVID-19 pandemic. The North has been pressing on with ballistic missile tests. The latest of those was time for the arrival in South Korea of a U.S. nuclear-armed ballistic missile submarine for the first time since the 1980s. This submarine is there to show U.S. commitment to defense of South Korea. And if not, then um, that will make South Korea really think about going nuclear seriously. Um, so that's a worst-case scenario. North Korea remained silent on the situation on Thursday. State media, which in the past reported on the detention of U.S. nationals, have also not commented on the incident so far. After the break, a record low in the U.S. real estate market. Only about 1% of homes have been sold this year. What's behind the trend? And a family will receive $800,000 in compensation after their child got burned by McDonald's chicken nuggets. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. A heads up for theater goers, Broadway's lights could be out tomorrow as stagehands consider going on strike. The union representing 1,500 backstage workers says its members are voting Thursday whether to strike. No comment yet from the Broadway League or Disney Theatrical, which are representing management in the contract talks. Most film and television production in the U.S. is already shut down amid actor and writer strikes. A bipartisan pair of senators is proposing a ban on stock ownership for certain government officials. Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Republican Josh Hawley are introducing the bill. It would prohibit lawmakers, senior executive branch officials, and their spouses and children from trading individual company stocks. There's no exception for blind trusts, which allow another person complete control over an investment. However, investing in mutual funds would still be allowed. The bill imposes heavy penalties for officials who break the rules. As Senator Hawley put it, 
politicians and civil servants shouldn't spend their time day trading and trying to make a profit at the expense of the American public. More bankruptcies may be coming for American companies. Over $100 billion of U.S. corporate debt are trading at distressed levels rarely seen in the last decade. NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to a money manager for more. And here with me is Tavi Costa, Portfolio Manager at Crescat Capital. Um, you know, some potential strong headwinds facing the economy is the amount of debt. Um, I want to start off with corporate debt. Uh, currently, many companies are locked into low interest rates, but a uh, refinancing wall, uh, so to speak, could be coming up. So, I mean, we have to respect the lag effect of the Fed's uh, interest rate hikes. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how much of a headwind are we facing because uh, the U.S. is very much leveraged on many levels. Yeah, overall, the corporate debt relative to GDP is not as pronounced as you would think. However, there are companies that have issues and there are companies that I, I like to say, for instance, that are a lot of business models that would never work in a 70s environment, not because of the world being different, but just because of the, the cost of capital being drastically higher. And we're seeing structurally higher uh, interest rates in general. Like you said, a lot of companies are going to have to be either restructuring their debt like Carvana did yesterday. Uh, and the stock popped on those news and so forth. But not a lot of companies will have the fortune to have, uh, you know, some sort of alternative uh, to clean up or make their balance sheet look better. By the way, by no means, I think Carvana did a great job at that either. I disagree with the market reaction. But I think some companies will have those alternatives. Majority of those, the companies that are highly levered are in big trouble and their businesses are in big trouble. And so as a money manager, I think you want to be uh, seeking to uh, to parts of the market that can provide you that exposure on the short side. We've been looking for companies that have, you know, average maturity debt that will be, you know, in one or two years out, meaning they're going to have to roll their debt in, in two years or so. And there's a, a significant amount of those with negative free cash flow um, already in, into the junk status. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of issues with that. I mean, I, I can't imagine a company losing money on a free cash flow basis consistently for the net for the last five to you know ten years or so also having to restructure the debt uh at a much higher uh you know interest rate uh until remember 15 months ago uh the fed funds rate was a zero so you know things are gonna have to be uh, uh readjusted in a big way here are we going to see more bankruptcies than in the future i would imagine uh, the scenario you just laid out could result in that yeah, it's going to be bankruptcies. It's going to be geopolitical, um, you know, tensions, meaning debt creates problems, right? But overall, overwhelming levels of debt, and then you have interest payments is starting to increase relative to what a company makes, what a country makes. You start seeing some populist agendas, not only from a, a countrywide uh, manner, but also from even the business side. You start seeing protests, as people not being able to. Uh, you know, to live in an environment where cost of living is so high and, and they start pressuring companies to pay higher wages and then companies have to squeeze their margins, but they're already holding a lot of debt. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much today, Tavi. Always great speaking with you. Thanks for having me. Here's a striking figure about America's real estate market. Just 1% of all U.S. homes have changed hands so far this year. That's according to data from Redfin, and it represents the lowest figure in at least a decade. 
The company info showed only about 14 out of every 1,000 existing homes moved from one owner to another in the first half of 2023. In 2019, it was 19 out of every 1,000 homes. Experts believe the rate should be closer to 40 or 50 homes out of every 1,000 in an active market. Real estate professionals believe high interest rates and a low inventory of homes on the market are the main reasons for the current trend. For subway commuters, here's something worth noting. After eight years, subway and train fares are going up again in New York City. Yesterday, the MTA voted to raise the fare from $2.75 to $2.90. They resisted raising the prices in recent years in an effort to bring back riders lost during the pandemic or at least not lose more fares. Weekday ridership is currently back at about 70% of pre-pandemic levels. Riders will see increases starting August 20th. More colleges are putting an end to legacy admissions. This comes after the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action in college admissions last month. The two latest schools to drop legacy admissions are Wesleyan University, a private liberal arts university in Middletown, Connecticut, and Carnegie Mellon University, a private research university in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This means they will no longer consider a student applicant's relationships with alumni in the admissions process. Legacy admissions have come under scrutiny following the Supreme Court ruling. Some claim it's an unfair advantage for wealthy students. A study by Education Reform Now found that 10% to 25% of those admitted to top universities are legacy admits. Officials in Illinois are conducting a criminal investigation after a 10-year-old boy was thrown from a carnival ride. It happened Sunday at the Taste of Antioch Summer Food and Entertainment Festival. The boy was airlifted to the hospital in critical condition. His family said he had surgery Monday. According to officials, the child wasn't properly fastened into the Moby Dick ride and was thrown from it while it was in motion. Antioch police joined the Illinois Department of Labor for a follow-up inspection of the ride Wednesday. All around amusements, the operator and owner of the ride hasn't yet responded to a request for comment. A Florida jury has awarded a family $800,000 after a toddler was burned by sizzling hot chicken McNuggets. The Broward County jury found that McDonald's and franchise owner Upchurch Foods acted improperly in the August 2019 incident. Jurors decided that the family was not properly warned of the possible danger from the hot McNuggets at a Tamarack, Florida drive-thru. The family had been seeking $15 million to compensate for the pain and suffering of the four-year-old girl who sustained severe burns and scars in the incident. Wednesday, the jury awarded the family $400,000 for the burn injuries sustained and another $400,000 for future damages. The child's mother says she was happy with the jury's verdict. Attorneys for McDonald's declined to speak outside the Broward County courtroom Wednesday afternoon. When we come back, an ongoing persecution in China is reaching U.S. soil. A panel discussion at the Hudson Institute breaks it down for us. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sought to build U.S. ties and supply chain during her trip to Vietnam. That's to offset rising tensions with China. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. A discussion panel at the Hudson Institute dives into the Chinese Communist Party's repression on U.S. soil. 
This comes amid the 24th anniversary of China's nationwide persecution of Falun Gong practitioners. NTD's Sam Wang reports. A mayor in outside, small town outside of San Diego, like many mayors across the United States, received a letter from the consulate in Los Angeles telling him not to support Falun Gong, don't speak out against the persecution. The man speaking is Levi Brody, the founder and executive director of Falun Dafa Information Center. He told me that a persecution once happening on the other side of the world has made its way unchecked into the U.S. So anything that they've been doing to Falun Gong over the last 24 years is really a case study of what they're starting to do and have been doing to other groups, including U.S. officials. Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, is a spiritual practice consists of five gentle, slow-moving exercises. Practitioners follow the core teachings of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. First founded by Mr. Li Hongzhi back in 1992, the spiritual practice quickly gained popularity. But on July 20th of 1999, the Chinese Communist Party launched a nationwide persecution, using state-run media to defame the practice and creating a new police branch for surveillance and arrest. Thousands of practitioners were tortured and even killed, all for their steadfast beliefs. The persecution is ongoing, and China is attempting to export it. Human rights attorney Nina Shea told me that it's all across the U.S. There was a police station that the FBI raided in October of 2022 and closed down. But I understand that there are other police stations and adjunct centers around the country, maybe eight, uh, maybe more, maybe less. We don't know. But the police station she was referring to was called the American Changle Association, an office building located in Lower Town, Manhattan. Authorities said that it was a CCP police outpost operating in the name of a service station aimed at targeting Chinese dissidents overseas. The discussion panel is urging Washington to take legislative action against the CCP's encroachment on U.S. soil. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wang, NTD News. If you would like to hear the full broadcast of the discussion, go check it out at ntd.com. The ongoing persecution of Falun Gong includes forced labor, torture, and forced live organ harvesting. Among the recent victims is a U.S. citizen from Florida. In a special report, NTD's Steve Lance sat down with Florida Representative Gus Bilirakis to discuss the issue. Here's a preview. Congressman uh, Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, first time an American Secretary of State has visited China in over five years, uh, causing a little bit of stir days later, uh, the president calling uh, Xi Jinping a dictator, Chinese state-run media, uh, not happy about that. What is your assessment this week? Uh, I'm hopeful that the secretary mentioned the discrimination, the human rights violations in China, in this case, the Falun Gong. Uh, and, uh, you know, a wonderful spiritual practice. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no religious freedom in, in China, let's, let's be honest. And uh, call them as we see them. Uh, you know, we need to call these people out, these governments out. China is a, a violator. Look what they're doing with the Uyghurs. This needs to be a top priority. You know, we have, they say, well, maybe this is not affecting United States citizens. It definitely is. It definitely is. Um, oftentimes people think that this is happening, you know, an ocean away in China, but actually it does hit home into every state in this country, including in yours, uh, your friend and, and constituent, uh, Joe Yu. Yes. Um, how has his story, uh, his family's story impacted you? Well, uh, it's very sad. These are wonderful people, uh, very productive people, great Americans. But uh, this is an innocent gentleman, used father, 
and, uh, and he's, gonna, he's being jailed for eight years for doing absolutely nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. But it's just an example of what's going on in China. They're abusing their own people uh, with, the, with the harvesting that's going on, the organ uh, for harvesting, uh, all the violations. This gentleman had some materials in his home that actually belonged to his wife. He went back to take care of his father. He could have stayed here in the United States, but he wanted to take care of his father, his ailing father. Did the right thing, the moral thing. And this is the way he's penalized by his country, his government. Uh, you know, what are these communists afraid of? Uh, it's not just China, but this is happening all around the world. And, you know, we are the leader of the free world. Uh, we cannot bury our heads in the sand. The special report is available at ntd.com. There's also a rally to end the persecution being held in Washington, D.C. today, followed by a parade. You can also watch that live right now on NTD's website. Following her trip to Beijing and India, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with officials in Vietnam. Her visit highlights the country as both a rising industrial power and an alternative for diversifying supply chains away from China. And it doesn't mean in our case ending our, in any way, trading relations with China, but we do want to partner with more countries and we see Vietnam as an excellent partner. Yellen was speaking during a tour of an electric scooter factory in Vietnam's capital. Washington sees the country as a key partner in renewable energy and, and supply chain resilience. Yellen said COVID-19 and Russia's invasion of Ukraine informed the U.S. of the importance of supply chain diversity. Strong economic and security ties with Vietnam are now a U.S. priority. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, a German company tests a vertical takeoff flying taxi in southern Spain. Some say flying taxis could be a reality average person by 2030. And the European Space Agency is planning to steer one of its old satellites right toward Earth. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back, everyone. A German company tested a flying taxi in southern Spain on Tuesday. The Lilium jet could operate in a number of countries in the coming years, including Italy, Switzerland, and China. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Lilium is testing its vertical takeoff flying taxi. Here in Via Carrillo, Spain, the Atlas Test Flight Center is the place for high-flying vehicles of the future. So the aircraft behind me is an experimental aircraft, which we have been flying for the last four years. It's a completely battery-powered, fully electric, vertical takeoff and landing jet airplane. The Lilium Jet's private-style cabin can carry six passengers and one pilot. Today's test flight was piloted remotely. So today we saw a test flight of the aircraft um, where we've been flying very closely uh, to the bystanders and, and the visitors because we wanted to demonstrate the low speed capability of the aircraft and the maneuverability. 
Stuart Burrell is a professor of human factors for future transport at the UK's Coventry University. He says flying taxis could be a reality for the average person in just a few years. The average person, uh, you know, I can see it being kind of like 2030, you know, is when we will see this sort of, uh, you know, air taxi service uh, coming to market. Lilium has recently signed deals to bring electric air mobility to a number of countries. In June, Chinese carrier Hella Eastern said it intended to order 100 Lilium jets. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The European Space Agency says it will attempt a first-of-its-kind assisted re-entry for one of its now-obsolete satellites. The spacecraft is set to descend to Earth on July 28th. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the mission details. Aeolus was the European Space Agency's first wind-monitoring satellite. Launched in August 2018, it was also the first to carry a LiDAR sensor into space. Now it's almost out of fuel. Soon, the satellite will fall into Earth's gravity. We want to demonstrate um, if, it, if, it, if it works, or at least that something can attempt to be done um, to reduce an already very small risk of it harming anybody or anything. Modern satellites are designed to burn up entirely on re-entry or undergo a controlled descent. Aeolus was designed earlier, so authorities plan to use the last of its fuel to steer it towards Earth. When we're bringing it down in this in this campaign, where we're lowering its altitude to 250 kilometers, and then even further to 150, and then 120. So clearly, we are pushing the boundaries of what the spacecraft was designed to to endure. Aeolus should reach an altitude of 170 miles on July 24th. At around 50 miles, most of it will burn up in the atmosphere. The ESA says 20% or less will survive re-entry and land in the Atlantic Ocean on July 28th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Up next, the school year may seem a long way off, but for nervous little ones, this is the perfect time to start preparing. Find out what you can do if your child is going off to school for the first time. Details to come on NTD News today. Welcome back. Heading back to school can be stressful for everyone, but for parents who are sending a child to school for the first time, it can be a huge transition. While you can't prepare children for everything, you can do a few things to set them up for a successful school year. Here's four things you can do to help a first-time student. A new school year with new faces, a new classroom. It can be scary for any student, but especially those who are new to school. They don't really have an idea in their mind of what this is going to look like. They don't have something to go off of. Strong for Life licensed therapist Jody Baumstein says preparing children before school starts is critical in easing them into the classroom. The more we can fill in the blanks in their head, the more at ease they will feel. Baumstein says to visit the school so the child knows what it looks like. Meet the teacher and administrator so there are familiar faces on day one. 
set up play dates before school starts with other families who have first-time students. They can rely on each other and have some sense of familiarity when they get there so that they don't feel alone and so uneasy. Finally, practice with school supplies. Baumstein says if your child isn't sure how to use or open something, it can create a layer of anxiety that can be avoided. It might seem silly and unnecessary, but for kids, it's helpful to know that they're capable and that they can do it without you. And so the more opportunity you can give them a chance to try it in the safety of your home while you're right there if they need help, the more likely they're gonna be able to have the confidence to do it on their own. If this is your first child going to school, you may have some questions and concerns as well. Talking to teachers and administrators can help. You'll be able to establish an open line of communication to support your child. Five whale sharks were rescued by divers. They were found trapped in fishing nets in ocean waters off Indonesia. The underwater footage from Saturday shows the divers pulling away the fishing nets and gently guiding the whale sharks in the right direction, allowing them to swim away freely. The whale shark is considered the largest species of fish in existence, and it's on the red list of the International Union for Conservation of Nature as a vulnerable species. A police horse paid tribute to a fallen officer yesterday. Wednesday marked 19 years since Nashville police officer Christy Jo Dedman lost her life in the line of duty. She was helping a car on the side of Interstate 40 while she was hit by a tractor trailer. Metro Police posted a picture of one of its mounted patrol horses paying tribute to Dedman at her gravesite. Police remind drivers to slow down when cars are pulled over on the shoulder. Whether you prefer a Queen's Gambit or Sicilian Defense opening move, today is a good day to play the ancient game of chess. July 20th is International Chess Day. The game was developed in India during the 5th century. It has evolved over the years, but the board people play with today has been used since the 11th century. Players move their 16 pieces around until they can capture their opponent's king. When that happens, they say checkmate which derives from a Persian phrase meaning the king is dead. If you celebrate with a match today, share your game photos and videos on social media with the hashtag International Chess Day. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.